Good morning, everyone. Um, good to see you. Um, excuse me if I if I sniff a bit and clean my throat every now and then. I'm still recovering from the flu, but um, we're going to continue our study of First Thessalonians. You can open to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter two. First Thessalonians, chapter two. And last time we went through the first four verses of chapter 2, and um, we saw how Paul was essentially defending his faith. And he was obviously accused of having come to preach um, for vain pursuits, for um, the praise of men. And so he speaks and he's starting, or he defends the message that he's preaching by giving various proofs of why he's saying that he didn't come preaching this message in vain. And so the first ones we looked at was that in verse 2 he mentions his testimony. He mentions how he went to Philippi and that because of his testimony he did, it's a proof that he did not come preaching in vain because his testimony was one of where he was beaten and imprisoned. And then we also saw the content of his message. The content of his message is not someone who is pursuing the praise of men. He was preaching godliness. He was preaching truth. And he was not preaching something that scratched itching ears. And then also in verse 4 and verse 6a, we saw Paul's motive in his message. And that his motive was to, to um, please God and not to please men. And so now we're going to continue from verse 5 onward. So let's read from verse 4, just to get context again, downward. Verse 4 says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. So, <clears throat> today we want to look at what Paul continues with. He continues by saying, not only was my motive and the content of my message one that was, pers- was pleasing God, but also the manner. The manner in which I was preaching, the manner in which I brought this message to you. And he mentions in verse 5 that this message was not of flattery. It was not one that... Um, oh, I'm in the wrong place, Sorry. Neither at any time used we flattering words. Okay? Flattering words. Now what is flattery? Flattery is false praise. It's commendation with a view to advantage or gain. So the difference between flattery and a compliment is the benefactor. Okay? If you flatter someone, it's for selfishness. It's to to get praise to yourself. If you compliment someone, it's because you want those people to benefit from it. So flattery is selfishness. And you see it in verse 4. What precedes it is the pleasing of man. If your desire is to please man, you will use flattering words. To flatter them, to make them view you 
in a different light. Now, flattery can be in various forms. You can flatter someone by not telling them of their sin. You're flattering them by saying your life is okay as it is. That's a way of flattering. And we find that a lot where truth is not being preached. And flattery rather to gain people, to have more people in the church by not speaking the truth. So that's one form. Another way in which you can flatter someone is by telling them of a hope of eternity when they have no part in that hope of eternity because they are trying through works to inherit heaven. Because you know, preaching works is a way of keeping people in the church. Preaching works is a way of enslaving people to feel that they have to keep coming to church or they have to keep being here because if they're here, well, then they're doing a good work and a good work is something that would lead supposedly to heaven. And that's why so many of these churches that preach a false gospel have so many people because people are trying to earn their way to heaven. <coughs> now, as I said, com- compliments are not a bad thing. Paul complimented and he commends the Thessalonians in chapter 1. We looked at that. So compliments, in truth, are encouraging. But vain words is destructive. In um, Proverbs 29 and verse 5, it says there, A man that flattereth with his tongue spreadeth a net for his neighbor. You're, you're trying to ensnare someone by flattering them. It brings destruction. Have a look at Psalm 12. Have a look at Psalm 12. Psalm chapter 12 and verse 1. It says here, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. First of all, they just David starts out here, he just says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. People who seek God in truth are ceasing. It says, For the faithful man fail from among the children of men. The faithful man is failing. Then he goes on to say, They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off the flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. He starts off by calling God to help because godly men and faithful men are ceasing, and then he goes on to say, For they flatter. And so I, f- I find it incredible, the connection here, how godliness, faithfulness is in stark opposition to flattery. And it says they're double-hearted man, two-facedness, fake. And so God is in strong opposition. He says he will cut off those flattering lips. Godly men, faithful people, that's what God wants. Not people who play the game of Christianity. So do you serve God? In sincerity, like Paul did. That's what the point is that Paul is making here. When I came, I didn't use flattering. I came in sincerity. So do you live and serve Christ in sincerity? Or do you flatter for personal gain? That can be personal gain financially, but it can also be personal gain in terms of the sight of men, pleasing men, having men look up to you. That is also a way or reason you would flatter. Do you flatter at church? in business, among your friends? Do you say things that are not of truth for the praise of men? And that is the challenge. That is what we need to check ourselves on. Have a look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 
I found this very interesting in Proverbs chapter 6 and 7. It's being spoken of an, of an adulterous woman or of a, say a bad woman, a prostitute, that type of thing. So let's have a look at this adulterous woman. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 23. It says, For the commandment is a lamp. Verse 24, oh sorry, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. Have a look at chapter 7 and verse 4. To say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. And then verse 21 says, with her much fair speech she caused him to yield. With flattering of her lips she forced him. And so the flatterer is the adulterer in this case. Now, I know this is also speaking to a spiritual truth, a physical truth, but there is a spiritual truth in this as well. If you are, of the flatterer, like I said, is the adulterer, it is someone who is self-absorbed. This woman was concerned about gaining this man to herself. She was, she was concerned. It's a self-absorbed view of life, right? And so this self-service was more important to godly service. And that is the spiritual connection we see here. If you are focusing on self-service, not on godly service, that makes you, you are essentially cheating on God, and that makes you, an adulterer. It makes you someone who trades God for self-service through your flattering tongue. And this is the connection we see here to this woman. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we, are we cheating on God for the praise of man? Or are we truthfully seeking God? Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about on flattery, I want to read this to you. It's about teachers who use flattery for selfish gain. Now it says some teachers use flattery as a mean to increase personal followings. Leaders desiring to attract a crowd sometimes water down their message until the gospel is reduced to little more than a God-tainted self-improvement program. They pepper their talks with cheerful verses and illustrations designed to make their hearers feel better about themselves and about the teachers. There is much talk about discovering one's potential and developing personal greatness. This is nothing more than flattery intended to create popularity for the speaker and his or her message. It sells books and media time, but it often bears little resemblance to the message Jesus proclaimed. Jesus' message did nothing to inflate the self-importance of his hearers. Rather, he stressed the need to die to ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. He said that those who desire to keep their lives will lose them, and that if we love anyone more than him, we are not worthy of him. These teachings are opposite to flattery. Jesus never shied away from stating what someone needed to hear, because his motivation was always to do his Father's will. 
That's incredible. His motivation was always to do his father's will. And that's why he didn't flatter with his tongue. Jesus spoke the truth, whether it was popular or not. He refused to compromise the word, even when great multitudes left him. He spoke in love, but he never resorted to flattery for personal gain. As his followers, we should be careful to do likewise. Never to flatter for personal gain. And this is the model that Paul followed. And this is why Paul is saying this in this verse, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 5. He's saying that, guys, I didn't come to flatter. I'm following this example of Christ. And Christ didn't use flattery for personal gain. My desire is your well-doing. All right. Then let's get back to our text, verse 5. <clears throat> it goes on to say in verse 5, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know. And then it says, Nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Now this cloak of covetousness is a show or a pretense of godliness. But underneath is greed and selfish gain. A cloak, something you cover yourself with to cover what's actually going on, what your actual pursuit is. And so it follows nicely on this flattery that Paul just mentioned. Have a look at Mark chapter 12. Keep your place. Have a look at Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Verse 38 says, And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing. There's your cloak. They love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. You see how they use a cloak to cover up their actual pursuit, their actual desire? Paul actually goes as far in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, where he mentions that these things should be cut off from you, and he then says covetousness which is idolatry covetousness is idolatry it is serving a false god if you are covetous you are serving a false god the reason i say that or the reason why paul mentions it, i think is because a covetous man and an idolater worship the same things they worship silver they worship gold and it says that their god is their belly They worship themselves. They worship the things. That's why a covetous man is an idolater. A covetous man looks at his stuff and at others as if it is something sacred. He looks at it, he adores it, and he puts his trust in it. And in his heart, he's so much set upon it that he neglects to worship the true God. His heart is so much set upon his stuff, his popularity, the things of others, that he can't worship the true God. No man can serve God and mammon. That is why a covetous man, Paul likens unto an idolater. Now, we as Christians need to learn to be content. 
in whatsoever state we are in. That's what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Someone who is covetous cannot serve God. So we know that flattery, as we saw, points to a covetous heart. And a covetous heart cannot know God or speak the message in truth. So Paul is mentioning this. He says, I speak the message in truth because I did not come flattering. I did not come with a covetous heart. I did not wear this cloak to try and get the praise of men. I did this in sincerity. So if it wasn't flattery and if it wasn't a cloak of covetousness, what is the manner in which Paul came? Well, he came in love and in charity. I found it interesting when I looked for antonyms for flattery, love is an antonym to flattery. I didn't think that would be, but it makes sense the more you think about it. If you're flattering someone, you're not actually loving that. In fact, you're doing the opposite of loving them. And so Paul's manner in which he brought the message was in love. And then also a cloak of covetousness. Because you see, covetousness says, what can I gain by doing this? Charity says, what can I give through doing this? And so Paul's message was in love and in charity. The love that constrained him because of the one who first loved us. And charity, in other words, seeking the other's good. This is the message Paul came preaching. And as Jesus said, he despised the shame for the love and the care that he had for the lost. If you look at verse 18, chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, Paul says here, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. Do you see that, that passion, that compassion, that charity attitude, that love he had towards these people? That is the way in, that's the manner in which Paul brought the message. No ill motives. And then he says at the end of verse 4, of verse 5, for God is witness. Because he's doing it in such a manner with the right motive, the right content, and a testimony that backs it up, he can say, God is my witness. And that is an absolutely wonderful position to stand in, to be able to call God to your witness because you know what you're saying is in truth and what you're saying pleases God. Let's go on to verse 6. Verse 6. So he said, God is witness. And then he says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others. Now last week, well not last week, the week before, we tied it up with verse 4 where it speaks about, And so we speak not pleasing men, but God. Paul's pursuit, Paul's motive was to please God and not men. Notice that in verse 6 he says, Nor of men sought we glory. Not received we glory. He says sought we glory. There's nothing wrong with receiving a compliment. Giving a compliment where a compliment is due. See? There's nothing wrong with receiving a compliment. But seeking a compliment points to a motive that is not focused on God. It is focused on the praise of men. So the problem is, um, like I said, it's not about complimenting. It, the problem is that what is your heart looking for? Is it looking for man's praise 
or God's praise. Now, how do we overcome a desire to please man? Now, all flesh is grass, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who has and does struggle with the praise of man, having reward from man. And so what does the Bible say about it? How do we overcome this desire to please man? Well, firstly, we see this in verse 4, but firstly I would say, remember, okay, remember. Remember what? Remember that your abilities, let's read verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. So remember that all you have, your abilities, your privileges, everything is from God. Without Him, you would have nothing to glory of. Without Him, you would not be able to have men praise you because there would be nothing to praise if it wasn't for Him that gave that to you. So the first thing we need to do is we need to remember, we need to stop looking at ourselves and look at God and see how great He has been to us. And there's much less to glory of. Secondly, you need to realize, turn to Matthew chapter 6 so long. You have to realize that when you seek the praise of men, you're selecting your reward. You are choosing your reward. Matthew chapter 6. And verse 1. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. It says, Take heed that ye do not your arms before men to be seen of them. Do you see? There's nothing wrong with doing arms before men. Once again, what? To be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men verily i say unto you they have their reward have a look at verse 5 and when thou prayest thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men verily i say unto you they have their reward realize that when you seek the praise of men you are choosing your reward of men and not of God. Verse 1 says that. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. If your pursuit is men's praise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. It doesn't mean as soon as someone praises you that you've lost out on a reward. I remember when Tani Mariana came out of the hospital she mentioned about thank you for everyone who came and helped her and everything and she's not going to mention names and stuff like that but then she said but I'm going to mention Pastor Mike's name because he already has enough reward so he can receive this one from, from a man, right? <clears throat> Unfortunately, that's not how it works, right? <laughs> Unless he was seeking that praise when he came to you, you see? And so if your pursuit is that praise... If a man then praises you and that's what you wanted, then you've lost that reward. But if you're doing what God wants you to do and 
a man praises you, even though you were seeking God's glory, that's not losing out on that reward. Each time in these verses, verse 1, verse 2, and verse 5, we see the motive was to be seen of men. It's for the glory of men. And so thirdly, when it comes to how do we overcome this desire to please man, look at verse 6 of Matthew 6. Verse 6 of Matthew 6, it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I would say you need to focus, thirdly, focus on God. Now, the reason I say focus on God, because we often say, okay, I have a problem with seeking the praise of men, so I'm not going to focus on not pleasing man. I'm not going to focus on not pleasing man. Right? That's the, you can do it, you can do it, I promise. It took me a while. You're not. <laughs> now, now seeing your confused looks, now I'm confused. Okay. You shouldn't focus on not pleasing man. Right? That should not be your focus. Your focus should be on pleasing God. Okay? Like John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. The focus wasn't I must decrease. The focus is God must increase. That's what I'm getting at here. Don't focus on the problem of seeking men's praise. Focus on I want to please God. Not on the problem and how I'm not going to do the problem. That doesn't help. Focus. Here we see he enters into his closet. He goes into private. He seeks God in private. It's not a how do I hide myself from the people and so they, don't, they can't praise me. It's a, how, where do I find God? How do I reshape my mind to see God, to seek God, to please him? In John chapter 5 verse 44, it says, How can ye believe? So Jesus has gone and he's spoken to the scribes and the Pharisees and he's speaking to them. And he says, how can ye believe which receive honor one from another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? How can you believe if you are constantly focusing on seeking honor one from another and not the honor that comes from God only? And that's why I'm saying you need to focus on God only. Focus on Him only, <clears throat> let's get back to our text. Now we said, verse 6, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others. And then it says here, When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Now this, we might have been burdensome, what Paul is saying is, though we could have made demands as the apostles of Christ, Though we could have, because of our position, been a burden upon you. Okay? We could have used our authority to be a burden on you. So I, I want to connect this to part of the manner, 6b, part of the manner, and that is humility. Humility. The way in which you bring the message is love, charity, humility. The reason I say humility, well, as I said, they could have used their positions of authority to look down or to demand certain rights, certain privileges. They could have been a burden financially. They could have been a burden through preaching 
a false gospel, as I said, by preaching works and these people just having to continually strive to try and reach this level of spirituality, a level of enough spiritual gift. And I, I spoke to a woman this week and um, she was telling me about her church and how she's, you know, basically learning about all these gifts. And last year, 2017 was a year of focus on healing. 2018 was a year of focus on prophecy. And this, you know, all these different spiritual gifts. And I was listening to her and listening to her. And I eventually asked her, so which one of those years did you meet Christ? You know, like, because that essentially is a preacher who's preaching flattery. He's preaching that through your goodness, through your pursuit of these and these things, you are attaining godliness. And that's not what it is. And so I shared the gospel with her. And, and each, I, I gave her literally, I think I gave her three chances and said, but ma'am, I'm actually asking, how do you get to heaven? Which one of these gifts take you to heaven? Which one of, and she, she couldn't answer me. And eventually I said, this is what I'm trying to tell you. And I told her the gospel. And you know, she's been a Christian for quite some time and she told me, I've never heard this. I've never heard this. And I'm, I went away there, I was so shocked. This lady, honestly, I think, with the right intentions, trying to serve God, but not even knowing the gospel. And that is when you put a burden on someone thinking that they're pleasing God through a false gospel. And that's not what Paul did. He, he rather chose to use his position of authority to be humble and to give of himself. And to preach, as it says here in verse 8, we looked earlier, it says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were, willing not to have um, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. So the focus was imparting the gospel of God, the true message of salvation, but our own souls also. There, he's also his own soul. He had such a desire for these people. He humbled himself in his position of authority. Have a look at First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter five, verse two. First Peter five, verse two. <clears throat> Peter is speaking um, to the elders, those who are in leadership positions, and he says, "Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly." And then it says, "Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither." as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. He's saying, don't use your position to be a lord over these people. Be an example to these people. And so we see exactly what Paul is doing here. He's saying, I didn't come, use my authority to make demands of you. I came and I was an example to you. We saw in chapter 1 how they followed that example and then themselves became examples to the rest of the people surrounding them. Have a look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Let's look at the example that Christ set for us. John chapter 13. Verse 14, Jesus is speaking and he says, If I then, 
your Lord and Master, so he has the authority, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is this, he, neither is, mm, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent, it, that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. The problem sometimes or so often with us is not a wrong understanding of Scripture. It's a living of Scripture. This is what Jesus is saying here. He said, I've given you an example that you should follow in our footsteps, in my footsteps. Who of you knew that before I read that to you? Most of you, right? The problem is verse 17. Happy are ye if you do them. And so Christ used his position of authority to set an example for us to follow. So the true test of humility comes when you're in a position of authority. If you're not in a position of authority, I would say humility is easier. <laughs> but as soon as you're in a position of authority, you have something you need to humble yourself of. And so Christ, Peter, Paul, all of them had great positions of authority, yet used it to set examples. So the question we have to ask ourselves, those of us who are in positions of authority, do you use it to influence people through setting an example of service and humility? Is that what you use your position of authority for? Or do you use it to dictate to inflate yourself. Now that Jesus called these people hypocrites. Preaching to inflate yourself. So, don't use your position of authority for that. Something I just don't want us to overlook here in verse 6 back in our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 6, when, Jesus, ach, when Paul said, yeah, that I might have been burdensome, he could have come saying, those who preach the gospel need to live by the gospel. And so you need to sustain me for the message that I'm preaching. Who of you have ever during witnessing wanted to give someone a tract and they asked you how much? It's, it happens, right? It's incredible. That means there are people going around who are selling Christian messages, so-called. It's actually quite sad. But anyway, he says here, having been burdensome. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, just have a look at that quickly. Philippians chapter 4, in verse 15, we read here, Now ye Philippians, uh, sorry, did I give you the verse? Verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Paul was supported by a different church and that made it possible for him to not be a burden to the Thessalonians where he was currently preaching. And so, do you support anyone who is laboring in the gospel elsewhere? Are you supporting people that they can take this message to different places 
and preach the gospel. And as you know, the missions conference is coming up. Have you asked the Lord how and where He wants you to help and support? Not just in the conference. I'm talking about who on the mission field does God want you to support? This is something that these Philippians were doing that made it possible for Paul to go to Thessalonica. Ask God where and how He wants you to support the message. <clears throat> All right, chapter, oh, yeah, chapter 2, verse 7. Verse 7. It says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Now, this but we were gentle among you continues from verse 6. It says, We didn't see glory of man, nor of you, nor of others, but we might have been burdensome as the apostles grew. But we were gentle. Just continues on that thought of humility. We were gentle, using our authority not to inflate ourselves. Then it goes on in verse 7. Even as a nurse cherishes her children. Paul compares his feeling that he has towards these people to that of a mother towards her infant. That is what Paul is. And if you know that bond, you'll know it's a very strong bond. It's a very intimate bond. It's a very loving bond. Even though the mother has the authority over the child, the mother serves the child. That infant, the mother serves it. The mother cares for it. The mother feeds it. The mother, do you understand? The authority is used to serve. In the same way, Paul is doing this towards the Thessalonians. He has the authority to demand obedience and praise, yet he puts his needs on the back seat and serves them. This is why he says in verse uh, 8, he says, being affectionately desirous of you. Not of what you can give me, not of what you can do for me, of you. I am desirous of you, your well-being, your stance before God, your salvation. Do you share such a desire? A desire that is willing to give up its own soul. In verse 8, he said, not just the gospel, but we were also ready to give up our own souls because you were dear to us. Do you share such a desire? to see lost people saved and young Christians grow. In Psalm 51 verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. This desire to see people saved, this desire to see young Christians grow and get established in the faith, is something God needs to help. And you need to want God help you need to commit yourself to him and let him grow that heart in you conform you to the image of his son and that's why um, david writes create in me a clean heart oh god created in me and renew a right spirit in me and if you know anything about david this is not the only time he spoke to god and then he left it there he followed through on this request he lived the life where he gave himself to God, let God speak to him, change him, use him. And so that is what we need to ask God to help us to have more of this desire. I want to summarize verse 1 to 8 briefly and say that the theme of verse 1 to 8 was a defense of the message, a defense of the message that Paul was preaching. So Timothy must have brought back news 
as we saw Timothy brought back news and then Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. So Timothy must have brought back news that said something like, yeah, there are accusations against us that what we did was for selfish gain. And so Paul addresses it. He defends, decides to address these accusations and defends the message he came to preach. We learn that Christian defense is biblical, if done biblically. Christian defense is biblical if done biblically. And every Christian should be able to do this to some degree. You need to be able to defend where you stand, why you believe what you believe. Now, how did Paul go about this? Have a look at verse 1, chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you. Know. Do you see no? Then verse 2. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know. Look at verse 5. It says, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know. He keeps saying, as ye know. Throughout the chapter, I think he does it twice more. In verse 9 he says, For ye remember. For, I think it's verse 11, um, as ye know, how we exalted. He keeps saying, as you know, remember, know. Why is he doing that? He presents evidence. You can't tell someone you're a Christian because that's the way you got brought up and it feels right. That, that's not, he, he's using proof. You need to present evidence. Secondly, what does Paul do to go about defending the message? He uses logic. And I point to this. He uses a testimony. He uses a content, the content of the message, the motive behind the message, and the manner in which the message was brought. He uses logic. He says, you know this. Look at this. Look at this. And he gives the proofs. And then also, finally, he appeals to a higher authority. At the end of verse 5, he says, God is witness. God is witness. And so there is a spiritual aspect to the defense. You do include, obviously, God, that your testimony in that. But there's also evidence. There's also proof. There's also logic. The accusation is made against Christians far too much that you, can't, that you don't speak to them because they're somehow incapable of logical, evidential thought. And so that should not be a case that is made against us. So can you defend your stance as a Christian? Do you know why you believe what you believe? Do you even know what Christians believe? Do you know what Christian doctrine is? In Bible school this week, I shared a, a clip where a quote was made that 1% of Christians fall away from the faith every year for the last decade. 1% of Christians every year for the last decade. Society is seeking evidence, proof, logic for why they should become Christians. Perhaps scratching up on your evidence for why you believe Christianity is the one true way is part of what Paul meant when he said, I am made all things to all men that by all means I might save some. If society, the society you're in, demands evidence, demands more logic, more reason for why should I become a Christian, shouldn't you consider becoming all things to all men that by all means you may save some? I think that is what Paul was mentioning there. So let us strive to be evidential Christians. Actually, as the Bible promotes, the Bible gives evidence 
It's evidential Christianity. That's why the Gospels are there, essentially. And not just spiritual ones. This way, we might reach more people for the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a privilege to, to open your word, to learn from it. Lord, thank you for being so faithful and always speaking to us. Lord, help us to be the Christians we should be. Lord, we know that our salvation was not of ourselves and neither is our walk and our sanctification, Lord. And that's why we come ask you, Lord, we come beg you, come help us to be faithful, to be godly servants. Lord, help us to have a desire for the ability to defend our faith. And Lord, that through that, not for personal gain, not for praise of men, Lord, but to glorify you, Lord, because we know nothing glorifies you more than someone coming to faith in your Son. So Lord, help us to do whatever we need to do to be able to be a better Christian and be able to lead people to the wonderful salvation that there is in Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.